1: Hello everyone. Welcome to New Books Network. I'm Gidmis Longcomer, the host of this channel. Today I'm here with uh, Matulika Little and Sir Jerry Pinto to talk about the book Indian Christmas. Now, this is a very interesting book because I think this is also one of the kind of the book in itself where two editors have come uh, together to really bring in contributors and to talk about Christmas in India. So I'm sure that the listeners will be very excited about this conversation. I'm sure that listeners will draw a lot of uh, insight from the conversation with the editors here. So let me straight away go to both the editors here and ask them about their background and themselves. So first of all, to uh, Sir Jerry Pinto, can you tell us something about yourself, your background?
2: Hi, I'm Jerry Pinto. I'm uh, presently in Bombay. Uh, I've lived here all my life uh, and I've uh, written several books and edited some books as well. I write for children, I'm poet, and that's as much as I think anybody needs
1: to know. And next to uh, Matulika, madam. yeah. Hi, I'm
0: Matulika Little. I've lived most of my life in Delhi and now I live in Noida. Uh, I'm also a writer. I write in different genres, both uh, fiction as well as non-fiction. I'm especially very interested in uh, food and classic cinema and in wildlife. And I think that is all about me.
1: Yeah, that's quite interesting. Yeah. Now, I want to go into the book itself. And... I think the idea of the book itself, and I, 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 this question is directed to both of you. Um, Anyone can answer this question as to uh, how did you come about with the idea of this book as Indian Christmas, as an idea of a book? And then, you know, uh, relating to this question is this one that, you know, when you talk about Christmas tradition, Christian traditions and all obviously we, we will think that oh, some theologians will be writing this book but then uh, writing this work but then the contributors are not from a theological background but also at the same time the that question that is also related to this one is this, that, you know, how did you find out the contributors, you know uh, what were the framework as to how do you want the chapters to be and how do you want the contributors to be, so I think that is the kind of question that I want to ask to all of you about the book itself, how did this book come together and the idea itself and also the contributors, yeah.
2: Uh, So basically the book began with uh, I think the time when uh, the government of India decided that 25th December would be Good Governance Day and um, therefore it was a kind of uh, almost like a takeover of Christmas Day which until that time had been a holiday that had been recognized by everybody and I was talking to uh, my editor and publisher Ravi Singh and both of us felt that we needed to have some kind of response to that and we didn't know what kind of response could be made except to say that Christmas is a very Indian holiday. It is a very Indian festival. There are many celebrations of Christmas. There are many varieties of celebrations of Christmas. They happen across the country. They happen in all kinds of unexpected places and in all kinds of unexpected ways. They've been happening for for centuries now, and it's part of our cultural fabric. This book is a statement that Christianity and Christmas is an integral part of the Indian, the lovely, multi-textured, multi-traditioned, multi-various Indian fabric. So that's how the book started madhulika will you talk a little about the about the contributors
0: you know i uh, one thing which, I, which we sort of uh, focused on was that there, it should not be a sort of uniform uh, form of uh, essay so as you can see if you if you if you've gone through the book you will notice that there's a, it's very textured it's very diverse so on the one hand you have an essay from sri who talks about the history of Christmas celebrations, as in uh, terms of how the Portuguese, the Jesuits, uh, came to Akbar's court and how they would celebrate and how Indians would be involved in that, those celebrations as well. I mean, they would come and see the cribs and things like that. So you have that on the one hand. On the other, you have uh, you know Indians from uh, as far apart as, say, Kerala and uh, Darjeeling and maybe Shillong and Nagaland and uh, Bombay, and Punjab talking about their celebrations of Christmas. On the one hand, you have something which is a fairly uh, serious uh, emotional thing like the opening poem by Ravindra Bhattavar. On the other hand, you have these fairly hilarious anecdotes about a drunken Santa Claus. And you know, you have people sharing uh, you know, their deep memories and their, their affection for uh, a family Christmas. So it's a very varied range, and that was what we wanted. We wanted to show a very different, uh, a wide canvas of Christmas, of Christmas celebrations, and of how people perceive Christmas. Plus, uh, not just essays, not just poems, but also a lot of art. So besides the fact that there are photographs, there are also lots of beautiful paintings and other artworks, And there is also, like for instance, Jerry had shared this beautiful uh, photograph of uh, crib images, you know, little crib figurines, which were beautiful. So you have a very very, uh, diverse set of things about Christmas. And I think they all sort of mesh together to provide a very composite image of how Christmas is celebrated in India. It's an Indian Christmas, not just because it is Christmas celebrated in India, but the very Indianness of the festival here. Yeah.
1: That's very interesting as to how, you know, the book came as a response, but also at the same time, how the the chapters flow in forms of memories and how people are reiterating their memories and looking at Christmas and, you know, the Indianness of it. That's something which is very interesting. Now, I would like to go to something which um, uh, Sir Jerry Pinto has also pointed out, uh, which I would pose as a question to both the editors here about why the birth of Jesus and the tradition of it, the tradition of, you know, the birth of Jesus and the tradition of Christmas, why it is uh, so much popular and why, you know, it has a meaning to each and everyone, not only Christians, but also at the same time to people from other religious traditions. So can both of you tell us something about it?
2: I think, you know, fundamentally Christmas, uh, the mystery of Christmas is uh, centered around the birth of a child. And the birth of a child, I think, was always magic in some form. Uh, when Margaret Mead went to the Trobriand Islanders, they told her that they had not yet made, she said that they had not yet made the connection between sex and uh, childbirth. Now, it is possible that in the early stages of humanity, perhaps that connection had not been made, which is why the earliest celebra- earliest figurines of, uh, of of devotion were pregnant women, the villain of Venus and other um, other Venus uh, mother god figures like that, which were always heavily bre- heavy breasted. Uh, swollen tide and heavy with child because obviously there was something sacred and wonderful and magical about this uh, about this act of giving birth of producing new life from within the body so in a book called the sword and the chalice I think there's an argument that with that um, as long as we were hunter-gatherers the act of giving birth was like central to the numen of uh, of the tribe to the uh, the way in which the tribe perceived itself, and as soon as we became um, uh, agriculturalists, then uh, the act of penetrating the ground became the male thing, and therefore the patriarchy uh, rose. So, some of Christmas, I think, retains that old magic and uh, of the pre, uh, the pre, the pagan magic, if I may be allowed to use that word, or the pre, uh, the early magic of uh, early religion, where there's um, where there's uh, great a great awe that surrounds the birth of a child. And so I think in many festivals, in many traditions, the birth of a child becomes really central thing. Um, And... Always, always is a cause for celebration. But in this story, particularly, we have a child who is being born under very difficult circumstances. It is likely that uh, the powers that be arranged against him, the forces of evil and darkness are arranged against him. He can be put to death at any time. And indeed, the massacre of the innocents happens a little while later. Uh, he is a homeless child. Uh, he has no place. Uh, his his mother and uh, father are exiles. They are they are wandering about, looking for a place for him to be born. And the capitalist institutions of the city refuse them, turn them away. And finally, he is given space in that half domesticated and half wild space of the manger, where there are animals, where there is nature, but there is also the domestication. And that is where the child is born. The child is first in, announced to, by angels, announced the child in the story to shepherds who are watching their flocks by night. If they are watching their flocks by night, then these shepherds don't have folds. They don't have homes. They are probably pastoralist shepherds, probably wandering shepherds. And that makes them, uh, Makes, makes us aware that they're probably poor. So this is another way in which the signal goes out that this is a festival for all of us. It's a festival for the poor, the first visitors to him, to this Christ child. Uh the three Magi who come from a different faith tradition. They were they offer gifts, thus starting the gift-giving tradition. Gold, Frankincense, and myrrh, and already in the myrrh there is the foretelling of the death of Christ and his uh, interment and and his uh, you know being put away in the in the sepulchre and rising on the third day from the dead. Frankincense and gold, of course, are. Also, bold was just useful, I think. Uh, so, the, But these three uh, uh, men from another faith tradition, they keep the faith with the Christ child and don't go back to Herod. They return to their country by another land. It's a beautiful story. And it is such a lovely story when you look at it in terms of how... How society still treats the poor, how society still treats the homeless, how society still treats the exile and the refugee. And it is a challenge to all of us, I think, to ask. There's a lovely line, I think, somewhere in Hebrews, which says, be not um, unkind to the stranger for They may be angels in disguise, warning all of us against xenophobia, warning all of us against uh, making someone the other or making or being afraid of someone because we don't know them.
0: I completely agree with what Jerry says, and Jerry, I think, sums it up really beautifully. All I would also add is perhaps that you know, somewhere, uh, Christmas is a it's not associated, it's a it's a story of hope for all of us. There's this. Feeling that you know Christmas brings hope. Where, where is actually if you look at it, it prob, uh, Easter is probably more about as much, if not more, about hope as Christmas is. But yes, Christmas has there is this uh, sense of hope, and it's a it's a uh, the story of this child coming as a beacon, and you know the the whole. That whole aura of the, you know, the star and the rejected parents and, uh, you know, this whole thing coming together. It's, I remember as a child, I was told about this story and it was, my mother would tell me every Christmas it would and I knew what was coming. She would sit down and she would tell me the whole story and I would listen rapt that because it was such a, there was so much joy in that story. You know, and I, I still, even now I went to see my daughter's nativity play in school the other day and I couldn't help but I was sitting there with tears in my eyes because it is, uh, there's a comfort to the story. And I think that sort of the hope and the comfort and the joy which is associated with Christmas is, can be very universal. It does not need to, uh, it's not something which is so deeply religious that it will make sense only to a Christian.
2: To add to that, I think just one more theological point, since you did mention theology, the If you look at the at the four Gospels, which tell us the story of Jesus, in um, in Stereoscopic fashion in four different ways. The person who gives you the most vivid account of it is Saint Luke. Now, Saint Luke was the person who was not there. He never met Jesus. Tradition tells us he was Greek, he was a physician, and he came from Greece, and he but he met the mother of God. He is supposed to have drawn most of the material that he that constitutes his gospel from. Mary's lips and all traditional portraits of Mary after that are portraits that because Luke is supposed to have done the first portrait of her, right? He's the one who painted her the first time, and every painting is then draws from that from that tradition. So, in some ways, what you have is now a narrative of the mother, right? This is a narrative of the mother. And if you look at the at the mother of Jesus, not very far from where I live in Mahim, there is a a church called St. Michael's Church, where there is a novena. And that novena is a nine-day prayer to uh, to the Mother of God, to the Mother of Perpetual Sucker, which is an icon that comes to us from Russia. So the icon is a black Madonna holding a, uh, holding a black Jesus. And uh, the angels, two angels, present to him. Uh, one presents crown of thorns and one presents the cross. It is as if they are foretelling his sorrow. And the slipper drops from the foot of the of the child in fear, in fear of what is coming. Now, this waning of fear is because every Christian child who knows the nativity story also knows the passion story, also knows where this is headed. But this is the safe space of the story. This is the good part of the story. This is the part that you can just celebrate with with joy right and i think uh, therefore that becomes another another source of the of the mystique of christmas that there is a foretelling and there is a mother figure who is young she is really young a young woman um you know who has been who has been suddenly given this huge responsibility she will bear the child uh, the uh, god's child she will bear god she is the god bearer right she accepts it with uh, with great uh, uh Courage and with great obedience, therefore becoming a model in some senses, and then uh, you know ponders these things in her heart. It's a lovely line because it's this pondering that takes us to the figure of Stabat Mater, the mother standing at the foot of the cross, the mother who stays when her naked son, beaten and scourged and crucified, is hanging there, and and bears witness to his pain. I think. The story in itself, the whole the whole unfolding of the story begins here. And this is why that story has such power still, two thousand years after it was first told.
1: Yeah, wonderful. Now I want to ask about writing. I think in academics, I think writing, and also me as an anthropologist, when we write, you know, we write about the other, you know, and I mean, we don't really flag on ourselves, right? In many of the academic writings, and and this book is about writing ourselves, you know, every. Each contributor is writing about themselves, uh, writing as an experience there. So it's more of they are writing about the embodied experience of Christmas in a sense. And I think this is something very interesting about this book itself—that how the people's experiences unfold, right, in terms of writing. So can both of you, uh, I mean, tell us something about uh, how you know this writings Because as uh, Sir Jerry Pinto also have mentioned that you know this book is a form of response, but also it goes beyond that, right? It's called beyond the responses that it has and it caters it, it, it to the emotion it caters to the person, the uh, personal aspect of it. So uh, h- how are these writings in the sense uh, how, how does these writings, the contributors uh, bring up all of all of this aspect, uh, writing about their experience of Christmas you know, um, c- can you tell us something about this one, yeah
2: what can be embodied in the experience of Christmas than eating
0: You know, I think at least as far as I'm concerned, uh, see the way I write when I, if I'm writing about myself, my own experiences, the whole thing uh, comes through, it's it's a sort of a reliving of what I have gone through. And because I have, you know, I would not take up a writing assignment, which uh, upon this sort of a topic, if I didn't already know something about uh, the thing. So when uh, uh, the editor at the publisher, uh, Venuka Chatterjee is the person I usually uh, interact with. She phoned me and she said, "You know, I did not realize for a long time that you were not you were a Christian." And she said, "If you are a Christian, you would have some memories of Christmas." I said, "Yes, of course, I do have memories of Christmas." And then she got talking to me and she wanted to find out more about my family and all. And I had enough to uh, sort of do an essay. So she said, "Why not?" and i said yes because i had enough to write about so i think the important thing there is first of all there should be you should have that uh, the experience and the the memories to be able to do justice to something like that and i think secondly you should there should be a certain level of openness you should be willing to let people know your uh, you know sort of your secrets or whatever even when they're a little unpalatable so you know uh, and that was it. so I fortunately I have very distinct memories of Christmas from different periods of time. In fact, uh, I think Christmas is one of those things of, one of those aspects of which my memories of my uh, paternal grandparents' home for instance, are most vivid around when uh, we used to visit them for Christmas because somehow my father was you know he was in a transferable job, he was in the IPS. And he got transferred all over the country. And so as a result, I never got to meet my grandparents on either side of the family, except at Christmas, because we would go and spend Christmas with them. So all my very early memories of my grandparents are of my grandparents at Christmas time. And my memories of their homes, their respective homes in Saharanpur and in Calcutta are also at Christmas time. So, you know, I... I came from an area where I had a lot of things to say, and uh, so I could wax eloquent about them. And I think if you read the essays in the book, you'll find that a lot of people are talking not just of their more recent past, but of, you know, long back. So there's a whole bunch of us, including Jerry and I think Amitma Raju as well talking about how uh, we used to listen to uh, Jim Reed's Christmas carols and things like that, and talking about uh, how Christmas used to be for us when we were children. So uh, it's a lot of memory, it's a lot of experience, and it's a lot of letting people know it. Sort of, in a way, sharing the joy, you know? sharing the, the happiness which came out of spending Christmas in a certain way
2: think except for the word of God, which is, we are told, which is, uh, you know, exists in the past, in the future, and in the present, all writing is based on memory. Even if you're writing a very present tense kind of thing, I am feeling this now. What you write about, feeling you write about, is a feeling that you have had, you have experienced, you have turned into language, and then put down on paper. So everything that you embody is actually... Embodied experience. It is not the present. It is the past, and therefore, all uh, all writing is in a is a way looking back, looking back at Christmas. Then becomes a way of looking back at, at history, looking back at at um, um, geography, looking back at culture, looking back at cuisine, looking back at music, looking back, harking back in a way uh, to what uh, Christmas may have meant. And I think, in general, you know. Uh, there is always that, when did you discover that Santa Claus was no longer Santa Claus? There was no Santa Claus. What was the time when the myth died? And that is therefore, like, a, there is a pre-lapsarian Christmas and there is a post-lapsarian Christmas. And both of those have, have their own joys. Pre-lapsarian Christmas, of course, because it is uh, it is generally when you are um, a child and, and you, do, you have no say in almost anything, including the presents that you get. And then there is the post lapsarian Christmas where you perhaps become an economic agent, you have to buy presents yourself, you have to, you know, consider how your money is going to be spent and where you're going to spend it. I remember the first time I read um, um, Joe's Boys. I think it was no, not Joe's Boys. Little Women. Little Women starts right, uh, Madolika, with Christmas yes. would won't be Christmas without any presents, yes. says yes. Joe angrily or something like that. And I think that whole uh, like the whole notion that the March sisters are giving up their presents so that they can uh, you know support people who need food, and their rich neighbor hears and is very moved, and he brings them presents, so he becomes their secret Santa at the end of that chapter. And Joe slaps. her her pocket where she has her copy of Undine and Sintram, a book that I have never been able to find after that. I wanted to read it because I liked Joe. I wanted to know what Joe wanted to read, and I thought I should read it too. But I never, I could never find this book anywhere, ever. So uh, it's just like that, the narratives of Christmas. Are many like the Christmas uh, Christmas Carol by by Charles Dickens, right, and so many others that come that have uh, followed afterwards, uh, including uh, you know it was the night before Christmas and all through the house not a soul was stirring not even a mouse, you know and the, or the how the Grinch stole Christmas, so many or oh, miracle and the, the Christmas movies that we have thousands of them, or that lovely moment in Thirty Six Cherry Lane at the end where there's a where Violet Stoneham has made a cake and goes over to uh, to her ex-student's house and is told and discovers that she no longer has a place in their world, but sits on the street with her cake, recites Shakespeare, and a stray dog wanders up to her. So, so many beautiful ways in which Christmas has been annotated and celebrated. You remember, uh, again in a parna sense, 36 Charingi then mm-hmm. Silent Night, Holy Night playing, and poor, a woman sitting on the road with her baby, a poor woman sitting on the road with her baby is presented, you know, to remind you that Christmas is also about poverty. I think so, so many beautiful things flood back when you think about Christmas. No?
1: Thank you very much for that um, such an enchanting you know expose of uh, that question now i want to come to the heart of the book itself and that is what um, it's about the indigenization of christmas in india and i think You know, India uh, as a country has so many traditions, um, you know, so many cultures, uh, beliefs and practices and all. So I would like both of you to uh, take some of the examples from the book, uh, North, South, East, West, and then, you know, talk about the indigenized tradition that comes out from India as a country.
2: So I think one of the interesting things about uh, about Christmas music is that it always started with uh, relics of the 1950s of, uh, you know, white America singing, for white Christmas, and uh, uh, I don't know, yeah, generally those, uh, those. Uh, all I want for Christmas are my two front teeth, and with my rubber pum pum ra pum pum with my drum. It was standard, right? And then uh, around the 70s and the 80s, I think there began to become a movement to say that, you know, we've got music of our own. We've got tunes of our own. We have ways of of celebrating this birth of, on our own. And we, uh, one of the things that we did in the book was we put in uh, translations of Punjabi tappe, which celebrate Christ, you know, and uh, the birth of uh, of Christ. And we put in uh, um, a cat flute by Yahwehya, yeah, Uh, sister sister you know which is uh, which is a way that shows you that uh, that slowly um, you're making this your own uh, and you're uh, changing things I think you know one of the wonderful things other ways is in the way in which food responds to Christmas and I think Madhulika would be very good on that.
0: Yeah, actually, you know, one thing which I really, uh, I've always found very interesting. For instance, when I was young and all across, in fact, not just when I was young, but even now, uh, our Christmas food, barring, say, uh, Christmas cake and the donuts, which my mother always used to make and which I keep making, which I make to this day, everything else was very, very Indian. You know, I mean, like uh, my mother would make gujiyas or she would would make namakparas. And then for Christmas lunch, we would have something like a chicken curry and kebabs and pulao. And uh, it always struck me that, you know, it's the the way most non-Christian Indians feel, you know, that Indians, there's some sort of stereotyping of Indians that Indians are very westernized. And that a lot of my... uh, Friends and all who are not Christians, they would think that oh, your Christmas feast must be uh, roast chicken and you know stuffing and Christmas pudding. And I said, no. Why would it be? We are, we are Indians. And uh, this, you know, when I started doing research for this book on how Indians celebrate Christmas across the country, it was amazing because everywhere in every part of the country, I discovered that food, especially food, of course, is a very integral part of Christmas celebrations. And everywhere, the food is uh, basically, it's the food which everybody eats. It's the sort of festive food, which everybody eats, irrespective of whether they're Christians or not. You know, so for instance, in uh, say in Kerala, you have a duck curry or a duck roast. And when we say duck roast, it is not the sort of roast which foreigners, uh, the Westerners would know. Uh, you know, you'd have that sort of thing. In Punjab, they have things like Gal uh, uh, makhmi, and they have tandoori chicken. Or, uh, of course, in the Northeast, across the Northeast, in Nagaland, you'd have a, a roast suckling pig, and you'd have, uh, uh, you know, sort of these fiery chutneys and stuff like that. So it's a uh, it's a way of, in my case, I uh, I was especially struck when I discovered that Gujiyas, which I always equate with Christmas are a very traditional holy uh, delicacy among Hindus and it, it came to my mind that perhaps my ancestors when they converted from being Hindus to Christian they probably decided you know we are used to this particular food at our main festival so why not even though our main festival has changed we keep the you know the festive food as it is and I think that is what has happened a lot in food especially you know that we've Stuck to the foods we really like. We've not adopted foreign foods that much. It is there, of course. There are some foreign foods, uh, especially in say communities like uh, say uh, the Mangaloreans or in Goa and among the East Indians. But again, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of fusion and a lot of Indianization of even foreign recipes. They've been Indianized to the extent that probably a foreigner would not recognize them anymore. So yeah, that is there. Also, to add to what Jerry had said about uh, music, about uh, Christmas music, there is actually, at least in North India, I know that there's a quite a long tradition of Christmas carols which are in uh, local languages. So, for instance, my paternal grandparents, they were evangelists in uh, Uttar Pradesh. And my grandfather and his father were good friends with this Punjabi evangelist called Zadhu Sundar Singh. Sadhu Sundar Singh was uh, born sick, but he converted to Christianity and became a, a very well-known missionary. And I believe he was the one who sort of uh, composed also perhaps uh, various carols and all. So some of our favorite carols in Hindi and Urdu and Punjabi, in our family, they came down from my grandparents' time. So we used to like, you know, b- much before uh, my parents jumped onto the Jibri's bandwagon, they used to sing all these old uh, Urdu carols and a couple of Punjabi ones as well. And uh, those carols do go on till this day. There are new ones coming up every now and then, people composing their own carols. But uh, I do hear a lot of the old ones as well.
1: As um, both of you explained on this one, I'm reminded of what uh, Madam Matulika said in her chapter where she said, we adopted the faith, but reserve for ourselves the right to decide how we celebrate its festival. And that's something which is very interesting. Now, coming to my last question, I think this is about what Sir Jerry Binto has uh, written, which got my attention, and where he says that Christmas, like every other festival, is hostage to the market. Now, quite interesting as to, okay, so how, in what of your views, how, how is the market changing, you know, the way we celebrate Christmas and all, and what what are its effects uh, on us in terms of, you know, um, marketizing this uh, festival as such? In what, what angle does this uh, comment come from?
2: Uh, for me, I think every festival is, uh, uh, is seen by the marketing industry as a way of... Um, earning itself some money, pushing commodities, pushing goods. I think this is very well known that there is no festival that has escaped a certain commodification. So I think, uh, but in general, the the joy of the festival is not in the commercials. The joy of the festival is in this, in. Uh, the community spirit it's a family spirit it's in the in the giving and the receiving of love rather than of uh, of actual objects it's in sharing sharing the food that you have sharing the, the christmas spirit or the festival spirit that you have it's in the other things that that don't have much to do with uh, with money right and i think um uh, the commercialization of christmas is almost inevitable Because that is what marketing people do, and um, sometimes when you talk to them, they are a bit apologetic about it as well. But really speaking, that is what they do. They have to see a marketing opportunity and make the most of it. Try and get you to spend money that you on things that you don't need. Uh, That's pretty uh, sort of fundamental marketing one o one, literally. And I think even new festivals have been created uh, specifically to encourage people to do uh, to indulge in in. um, in commercial activities, indulgent in buying, make people buy. Uh, so I think um, I I wouldn't say right and wrong. I wouldn't say it's right or it's wrong, but it seems to be a human impulse and buying and you know uh, going out and doing retail therapy, as it is called. Now certainly seems to make some people happy. So I have no moral objections to that. I have to say, I'm just saying that this is what ha- what seems to be happening. That,
0: that's- much agree with what Jerry's saying, because that is how it is. And uh, I think there is enough space around for us to live with the marketing people, and to live with this commercialization, and to find our own way through it. You know, I mean, we might, there might be a time when we also sort of jump onto it a little bit. I remember when uh, I was young, when I was very small, my mother used to make only a selected number of things for Christmas. And then sometime in the 1980s, this condensed milk name Milkmaid came to the scene. And suddenly my mother discovered this recipe for chocolate fudge made with Milkmaid. And so she joined that to our list of everything that was made at Christmas. So, you know, I mean, uh, okay, I personally don't go very much for commercialization, but you maybe can't avoid a certain amount of it happening in your own life.
1: Now, I want both of you to give uh, sort of a closing remark. Now, when we look at India, now there is religious tension, political tension. And now Christmas is that kind of festival that kind of moment that talks about you know unity peace uh, love and all of those things it it brings hope also so I mean something to the listeners to you know give them hope but also at the same time to talk about the crux heart of the book and where we should head forward uh, taking this one as Indian you know as Christians that Christians are part of India as a multicultural and multi-religious context and place uh, how do we really understand and how do we really move forward can both of you as a closing Mark, talk about something to the listeners, yeah, regarding that point, yeah.
2: I don't think there is any festival that isn't about hope, that isn't about uh, unity and peace and love and all the rest of this. All festivals have the same message. All religions have the same message. But I think uh, uh, an ancient tribalism makes us uh, try to divide people up and say, uh, this is who I am, this is who you are, and I am a little suspicious of you. And I think that suspicion, uh, is akin to the way in which the doors of the inn were closed on the holy family when they came looking for shelter. So perhaps the, sto- the message here is keep the doors of your heart open and welcome the other in.
0: It's beautifully said, and I totally agree with uh, Jerry that you know keeping uh, the doors of your heart open and being ready to listen to other people and to understand how their uh, lives are lived. And that how differences are not something to be uh, scared of. Mm. That is, I think, a very important part. It's okay if a woman is pregnant without being married, as Mary was. And it is okay for people to be far away from where they're supposed to be living, uh, because they're out for a census. And it's okay for them to not have a room already booked. (laughs) I I found a, a sort of a comic meme the other day about how Mary and Joseph are having a little fight of a fight into the room. But, you know, it's, it's all okay. And the important thing is that you find peace and there is hope and that you're willing to welcome everybody into your heart. You know, the, the setting up doors in the first place is, doesn't work.
1: I think uh, this is such a wonderful book, but also at the same time, both the editors are such wonderful communicators and, you know, brings out the essence of the book so wonderfully. Uh, Thank you, Madam Matulika and Sir Jerry Pinto for being here at New Books Network. And I would like to request the listeners to really get this book. And especially, I mean, especially people from outside, right outside of India to know how Christmas is celebrated in India in its own unique way. And I think this is the beauty of the book and I think each and every listener should uh, get this book and also at the same time I believe that the listeners will have garnered a lot from this conversation so thank you very much to both of you
2: thank you very much dear. thank you
1: Madhulika bye
0: thank you bye